0: And welcome out to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Charlie baseball season underway now. And as the old saying goes, you can't win them all if you don't win the
1: first three. Really good home weekend to open the season for Mississippi State. A good Wright State team in. Bulldogs able to get the three-game sweep. And look, this Wright State team, team that perennially wins its conference, Got a big win in the midweek this week against Louisville. Oh, they sure did. State won on
0: Friday, play Friday afternoon, won a 9-6 game, you know, jumped out, had a big six-run, sixth inning, and then able to, to win Saturday-Sunday as well to sweep right state. And so, Charlie, you look back, you know, you fall behind in that Friday game, and we'll talk further throughout this entire show about you know Christian McLeod on Saturday and kind of where his start ranks among Mississippi State left-handers or freshmen out there for the first time. But just the ability to come back, get runs in that first game kind of settled you down just a little bit.
1: And you like the fact that you had a lot of young players put in some pressure situations. They responded very well. And even the guys who had a rough first go at it got a second chance and delivered that second time around. And
0: just looking at, uh, you had some guys that were known guys that really played well this weekend. You've got big weekends out of Foscue. You've got some big hits when you needed it. Rowdy Jordan was very good at the top of the lineup.
1: Well, he was, and Westberg hit the ball. You had a lot of new arms on the mound. You had some good starting pitching. And you like the fact that Eric Sarantola pitched well as well.
0: What are the things you look back at? uh, What were some big plays to you in that opening weekend against Wright State? What what were some big plays in that first game that you really thought that changed the game for you?
1: Well, that first game, of course, was the 9-6 game Mississippi State won. And it's the start you have JT again in that ball game. I thought, for me, the the thing that really set the tone, Wright State was a team that came in wanting to run. They wanted to steal bases. And I thought, you know, when when J.T. Ginn came out of the game, Logan Tanner went in at catcher. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I thought the play of the game was uh, in the fourth inning, Wright State had gotten a double. They had then had a stolen base over to third, got a walk to put men on the corners and one out. And... Wright State does what right State expects to do. They try to run, and from his knees, Logan Tanner throws out the runner. I thought that really set a tone in that ball game.
0: You know, I'm going to think back to the first inning, the bottom of the first. You know, you had JT Ginn out there. He works through that top of the first inning and leaves some guys on the bases. And then in the, the bottom of the first inning, Rowdy Jordan leading off with a single. And then Jordan Westberg. here's my play to get some confidence going, to get some comfort, especially, and the more importantly, get a lead, you had Rowdy Jordan at first, ground ball left side, and the ability to go from first to third. Now... Zane Harris at Wright State probably should have played it a little bit different. You had Westberg beating out the infield single, and then instead of taking two steps toward the second base bag and making Rowdy Jordan commit, he throws in behind him, and when he does, Rowdy Jordan takes off for third. So then in that situation, you've got first and third and nobody out. So, A, Westberg beating out that infield single, and B – you look at what Zane Harris could have done. So you could have had first and second nobody out. You could have had a runner at second and one out if Westberg's thrown out. Or you could have had a runner at first and one out if Rowdy Jordan's thrown out. But everything happened perfectly. You get runners at the corners, and then you get the ground ball for the double play. The run comes in to score, but, and then your pitcher has a chance to pitch with a lead.
1: Yeah, I thought that was so
0: big. Second game, what was your big play in the second game? State, uh, of course, won that, that uh, opener 9-6 to over Wright State. And then in the, uh, the second game, came out, built the lead, scored three early runs. What about you in game two? All
1: right, so I talked about my catching play defensively in game one. I'm going to stick with my catcher, Logan Tanner, in game two. Second inning, hits the home run. You can say, what's the big deal about a solo home run in a game where you score six runs? The big deal for me was, I think it is so important for young players to have that moment. I think it's so important to get off to that big start. And we saw Tanner have that moment defensively in game one. In game two now, he comes out and he has his moment offensively, hits the home run, he ends up going three for four. And all of a sudden, now what you've got is, look, he's going to play a lot of innings. He's going to catch a lot of pitches back there for Mississippi State this year. I think the plan, depending on injuries, probably be about half. So you want somebody not only to know, hey, I can control the running game and for opponents to know that, Yes. but it is so important. Ron Polk used to say all the time about hitting is contagious. I think it spreads through the team, but I think it spreads within you. I think it is very important. You're a lot more likely to get a hit this at bat if you got one last, and I thought that was a very important moment for him – Early in the season, it was big for the team as well.
0: I'll tell you what, going back to what Logan Tanner did and your big moment in that first game, you know, throwing out the runner, that changed the complexion of the entire weekend for Wright State. I think my big moment in uh, in the second game, and I know it happened when State had a 6-0 lead and it was in the top of the sixth inning, you, you already had McLeod out of the game, and then Will Bednar comes in and talking with – Scott Fox all the pitching coach for Mississippi State last week. We talked about some of these big arms that you're going to trot out there. And, you know, Landon Sims had a little bit of a rocky you know, finish to the game on Friday. So then all of a sudden you're going to throw Will Bednar out there, another high-powered arm who's a true freshman. And you wonder about the psyche of the freshman. Then in the sixth inning you had a, a single to right field and then a strikeout. You had runners at first and second and one out. And then a wild pitch allowed runners to go to second and third. And he had Tyler Black at the plate, the three-hole hitter for Wright State, the top hitter coming back for Wright State. And he got a big strikeout, 3-2 pitch. Instead of walking the bases loaded, he got a call third strike on a 3-2 pitch, changed the complexion, and you could see Bednar just kind of exhale a little bit. He got Harris to pop out to third to end the inning. And so, yeah, it was a 6 nothing game, but I think down the road, what that does to Bednar and your bullpen, that was a big key for me.
1: Yeah, I thought that was uh, really important for Mississippi State's pitching staff because that's one of the question marks that we're going to have is, how is that bullpen going to be? The big moment for me, and this is kind of a, I guess, a pet issue of mine. When people look at statistics, what do we go to? Batting average, home runs, things of that nature. What I like about the Mississippi State bottom of the first in that game on Sunday. You get the Rowdy Jordan single, then the Westburg double. But what I love are the next two at-bats. Hatcher scores a run with a flyout. Foscue scores a run with a ground ball. And so what you have are two guys that push runs across the plate, and they do it without even getting a hit. It speaks a lot, obviously, to getting guys on base. But it also speaks to guys being selfish and and doing a job. You know, that Hatcher flyout was on a 1-2 pitch. And at that point you're just thinking, get some lift, get the ball out of the infield, put it in play, don't strike out. And because you put it in play, you get a run home and you can say, All right, it's one to nothing, it's two to nothing. How big a deal is that? Well, look, a two to nothing lead in the first inning is a big deal anytime. I think it's especially big when you're throwing Eric Sarantola out there on the mound, who is a guy that we've talked about, who's gonna have to grow into that role as well. Again, so much easier to pitch from a lead. I love the fact that Mississippi State gets runs across and didn't even need the hit for the, to drive the runs in.
0: Yeah, mine goes along with kind of what you're thinking about Sarantola pitching with a lead, and he d- was able to do that early of getting those runs in the first inning. But in the third inning, Greenwell let off of the double, and then the top of the order, Damon Dews draws a walk. So they've got first and second and nobody out. And then Hamilton draws a walk. So bases loaded, nobody out. Sarantola, who struggled a little bit in the first inning, struck out three in a row in the second. And so you wondered, okay, is, is this his moment? Is it going to go great, or is it, is it going to go in the tank? And he's just got such great stuff. And we talked about last week about a 6'6", and all these you know, long levers with his arms and his legs and trying to get synchronization. And then he's got Black at the plate, Tyler Black, lines out to the second baseman. So you get the line out, you get the, the first out. And then he's got the cleanup hitter in Zane Harris, and he gets a big strikeout swinging on a one-two pitch. And at that time, he was locating his breaking ball as good as he was his fastball. His fastball was a 94-95, but it was the breaking ball that was so good, so sharp early in the game. And it was almost like in the first, you know, the second through the fourth inning, he felt more comfortable throwing the breaking ball for a strike's for a strike than he did the fastball, and then he comes back, gets England for a strikeout, and gets out of the inning. So bases loaded, nobody out, and Wright State can't score. And so I thought that was the big moment for me in that third decisive game. And so State able to sweep the three, winning 9-6 to six on Friday, 6-2 to two in the Saturday game, and then the winning the Sunday game uh, in that one, 5-1. Uh, to one. And so three quality wins.
1: And to tag on to that about Sarantola, the other thing that you love is he did that in the heart of the order. This wasn't that he picked on seven, eight, and nine and got something past him. These were legitimate hitters. Harris had the big hit back in game one that gave Wright State a lead early, a bases-clearing triple. So, excuse me, bases-clearing double. But these were really good hitters that he did this against. You have to think that's going to help his confidence.
0: How about Christian McLeod on Saturday? (laughs) Oh, boy. You know, I've gone back, and, and I was talking to Greg Campbell about this, Mississippi State baseball sports information. And looking back, I can't find anybody right now. And I've gotten back to 2000, a guy making his debut with 11 strikeouts. It was phenomenal. Big left-hander out there, just throwing strikes, pounding the zone. Kind of made you recall some of those big left-handers we've seen in yesteryear.
1: Didn't it, though? Uh You saw that big 28 out there. Look, there are some guys you talk about on a baseball field, and you say, well, it doesn't look like a baseball player. This guy is out of central casting, he looks like the big, power, left-hander, dominant pitcher, and you have to be excited about where we're headed with him pitching.
0: Oh, no doubt, no doubt. So, one of the things we're going to talk about this week is a look back at some big left-handed pitchers in Mississippi State history. We're going to do that when we come right back. I'd like to remind you that our show is presented by Farm Bureau, go with a home team, Favorites.com. You know, last, a couple of weeks ago, Charlie, An oak tree fell on my dad's truck down in Winston County. That night, he sends a text to his Farm Bureau agent. A week later, he has a check in hand after it's totaled out. And so you, you have the relationships with the people, and that's one of the great things he has in Louisville and Winston County that you have an opportunity to have all across the state of Mississippi as a relationship guy and someone that you can call if disaster strikes or something goes wrong for you. So Farm Bureau, go with the home team. I'm Bart Gregory. He's Charlie Winfield. We'll come back and take a look back in Bulldog history on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Back on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau, Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Time now for a look back, brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Henry Cooper and in the, in the gang down in uh, Florence had a chance to go by and see Henry and those guys last week down on Highway 49. And uh, the thing about it, Charlie, is we don't promote things that we don't care about. And that's the positive about Country Pleasing. The product. Is just a quality product. They take the, the best loins, the best hams, they put it all together. It's a meaty sausage and so many different things. You've got the original, you've got the jalapeno cheddar, you've got a, uh, the pineapple pork that's coming out that, that has really drawn a tremendous amount of raves. And so, but they're andouille. That's where they make their hay in New Orleans. And so chances are if you go to a New Orleans restaurant and you order you know, red beans and rice or, or jambalaya, a jambalaya, I can't
1: say it either. That's okay.
0: I can't say it either. But the chances are, uh, if you go down there and you have just these great meals in New Orleans, there's a great chance that you're eating some of Country Pleasing Sausage. So at your local grocer, Kroger, Vowels, throughout the state of Mississippi, go by and check out the the great product of Country Pleasing Sausage. Okay, Charlie, a look-back segment, and we touched on it just a moment ago by Christian McLeod, but you look back in Mississippi State's history, when you start talking about left-handed pitching and the guys that we thought of the other day, Big 28 out there, Eric DeBose and a, and then a Paul Mahalem, those were the first two that came to my mind when you saw that start from Christian McLeod.
1: When you think back, left-handed pitchers for me, there's kind of three in my lifetime that really jump out as kind of dominant guys, Mahalem, DeBose, and Wallace. I think those are, the, those are the three that first come to mind but I tell you, when you see Christian McLeod, you really get the feeling that there are going to be people 20 years from now talking about him the way that we talk about these guys. The the remember when I saw him pitch, there's going to be some of those moments from this past weekend. I, I really believe this guy is going to be that good.
0: The the thing when you look at all these guys, when you look at Mahalem, you look at the B.J. Wallace, and then a Connor Pilkington and an Ethan Small, I mean, that we just saw here at state, all pitched in different ways. When I, when I think of Eric Debose, I think of a spike breaking ball. You know, coming out of high school, Eric Debose had a high eighties fastball, good spike breaking ball. Paul Mahalum had a good fastball as well. Really threw a sinker well in the pros. But his out pitch was that good, hard slider. Even if he had a right-handed batter at the plate and less than the, a, a runner at third and less than two outs, he was going to bury that slider because he could get away with it, and that was his best pitch. But, you know, you just look at those guys, and then you look at Christian McLeod. They all look the
1: same standing out on the mound, but they pitch it,
0: pitch it so differently.
1: Yeah, McLeod, similar to small in the in the sense that his fastball rides – you know, they call it the helium fastball or the yeah. rising fastball. It doesn't actually rise. It looks to the batter as if it does. It's got so much spin that it holds its plane longer than a typical pitch. Bring him back a day after again, who's got so much sink on his pitch, you're getting a completely different look from from a pitcher, not only from a right to a left, but also from an up and a down perspective. But you go back and you think and you start thinking about those guys. When I look at McLeod, I see a big guy. And there's something about big pitchers that just seem more durable, whether they are or they aren't. You know, you go back and you think, you know, Mark Freed was a big guy. Uh, Nick Rout was a big guy. You know, Nick Rout's a guy we didn't talk about that much when we were having some conversations about lefties earlier. But that 9, 10, and 11 seasons, you know, Rout was really good for Mississippi State. Of course, Look, well, we go all day talk about Kenny Kurtz and Gary yeah. Roth, for example. I a mean, guy who pitched in the majors. So, and then you go back to the early '80s and you think of Herzog. But you know the guy we we've talked before about. Sometimes when we talk about players, we're all a little bit guilty of thinking that baseball started when Ron Paul got to Mississippi yeah. State. And in fact, there's a really long history of Mississippi State that predates that. Mike Profit In the early (laughs) 70s, you know, when he finished at Mississippi State, he was the all-time leader in wins. He had the career lead in wins. He had 15 career shutouts. His ERA, if he had an ERA of two, it was high in his career. He was an absolutely dominant pitcher during his time. And, you know, you start to go back and you look at those guys, profit in the early 70s, Kurtz in the late 70s to Herzog, and then we start hitting those guys in the late 80s and 90s. I, well, we got a real stack going here in the in the 2000s too. You know, the thing
0: about Mike Profit and that's one of the great things about broadcasting and what Charlie and I are able to do on a lot of a lot of nights with you in the spring in, in broadcasting Mississippi State baseball with the SEC Network Plus is you know, we start talking about some of these you know great performances and then last year we had a guy send us a send us a a, a tweet and says Hey, you can't talk about this without talking about Mike Prophet. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was it was pre barton it's pre-Charlie. And you go back and you start looking at some of these numbers, and that's one of the great things about doing what we do. It's is when we get these tweets, is when we get the text messages. Hey, you need to take a look at this guy. Kind of opens your your eyes a little bit to a whole new world of what Mike Prophet did. And then you look at Kenny Kurtz, of course, as we talked about in 1979, that great season that he had. But, man, Jeremy Jackson, you know, Ross Mitchell, you had to throw him into a starter's role in 2014. You know, Kevin Donovan, we talked about Kevin Donovan in that 2000 season. It was crazy. In that 2000 season, you mentioned Mark Freed a moment ago. You had a super regional team, but you only had two left-handed pitchers on the roster, and that was Kevin Donovan and Mark Freed.
1: Yeah, and it's – sometimes, you know, another guy we hadn't talked about, Justin Pygat. You know, Pygat, you go back – He threw four complete games one season, I think. Led the team in complete games in an era when complete games were rare. And so, I can't, though. I can't let us talk left-handed pitchers without going back over a century. (laughs) And I've got to go to Willie Mitchell. He's in the Mississippi Hall of Fame, in the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. Did he strike out like everybody for LSU? He threw a complete game, a perfect game against LSU. He struck out 26 of the 27 he faced, and he went to the majors – and in his first game, he struck out Babe Ruth twice. And he threw a pitch that they called the willy ball. And they think that today – How did today, you find all this? I, mean, I spend too many nights playing <laughs> on my iPad. But they said it was the willy ball. And what they think that it was was actually a split-finger fastball. And so it had uh, – he was about about 100 years ahead of his time, I suppose. That's crazy. That's
0: crazy. I mean, even I mean, we, – talk about left-handed pitching and we're talking about starters. I mean – some of these guys that, that I think of back in 89, you had that great team at 89. But all we could, we could talk about was a freshman from Marietta, Georgia, and Chris George.
1: Yeah, Chris George, one of those guys too, I think, whose numbers look a lot better when you start peeling apart what was going on in baseball then. Sometimes if you're a prisoner to looking at stats, Chris George doesn't jump out the way that he should have because there were some high ERAs back then. You know, you used to get into 88, Mississippi State's best ERA on the team was like 4.1. And so, George, a guy that if you're just going to measure him off ERA, it doesn't jump out at you the way that an Ethan Small did. But that guy pitched a lot of really big innings for Mississippi State, another one of those big left-handers. So, over the past couple of years, and if you, if, even if you go to the bullpen,
0: I mean, Chad Gerardo could have pretty much been a starter for you in 2013 because you went to him so quick yeah he was a functional starter.
1: yeah he was a functional starter and then of course Ross Mitchell was a functional starter and became an actual starter uh, in the next season. So that's a look at left-handed pitching and, and just about uh, you know
0: how these guys pitched and Charlie, you know Connor, Connor Pilkington, it's amazing to see guys go from their freshman to sophomore to junior seasons. you know Pilkington was a guy that seemingly added a pitch per year. You know, his his freshman year, he threw fastball. He came out and really worked hard in that second year on a changeup. And that last year, it was more of a curveball. And so, he added three pitches or added two pitches to get three. And that's one of the things now is you have to have the
1: ability to locate multiple pitches. We talked about guys who were relief pitchers and kind of became starters. We haven't talked about a guy who basically started as a starter and became a very good reliever in Lindgren. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, what a crazy slider. Oh, I mean, it was. I remember going over to the SEC tournament and watching guys from South Carolina all but throw their bats into center field trying to hit a ball that was going about 58 feet.
0: Okay, so that opens up another question. Okay, when I look at, at Paul Mahalam, okay, and I think back to, to his start, you know, Paul in 2001, was probably going to be a weekend rotation guy early in the season. And it was crazy when you start looking back at his starts. His first ever start was a midweek game against Samford. And the weekend before, the opening weekend that that year, we were supposed to play New Orleans on a Friday and then Notre Dame. Is that uh, a Cadence Bank, NBC yeah. Classic to open the season? And we were going to play Notre Dame on Friday and then – Notre, uh, excuse me, New Orleans on Friday, Notre Dame Saturday, Notre Dame on Sunday. And so the thought process is, is Paul's probably going to pitch in the Sunday game against Notre Dame. Well, what happens? I don't know if you remember this or not. I'm sure you do. Those straight line wins on that Friday, the season opening day yes. that came through, Yes, yeah, he had like straight line winds of like 100 miles an hour. Knocked out power all over Starkville. It was like a bomb went off in this area. Trucks overturned. It was nuts. But it knocked off all the power at Duty Noble. And so they just banged that whole day. They canceled the entire first day, opening day, of the baseball season in 2001. And so then you just played Notre Dame on Saturday and Sunday, and he didn't draw the start. He came in and pitched in relief in the Sunday game. He was the the first guy out of the bullpen in the Sunday game, and Notre Dame won the first two. Now, they had been here the year before, of course, when we won the the, uh, the regional here, but this was to open the season, and uh, you know the crazy thing about that, Paul Mahalam made his debut on the same day that Dale Earnhardt was killed at Daytona. Did he? It's well, crazy sports note. Yeah, Eric Debose. When you look at how Christian McLeod pitched, Eric Debose started the opening weekend of the 1995 season. Now, of course, the thing about that 95 season. We had a ton of freshmen on that team. And so he was – you had to have him in that opening weekend, and he pitched against Minnesota in the second game.
1: Yeah, and and I was trying to think back to some of these guys, and McLeod, to me, I kind of put him more with DeBose in my mind. Obviously, in terms of the fastball, I put him with an Ethan Small. In terms yeah. of the way he looks, I kind of put him with DeBose. And the other way that I'll put him with DeBose is the idea that, look, he stood out there very early as a freshman on that mound. He – he didn't ease into the role. Now, the advantage that McLeod had was, even though he couldn't pitch a year ago, he was here. Right. He was around. So, you got to deduct half a point. Yeah. Right. Whereas, to Bo's opening weekend, got the baseball and said, you know, go to it. And I suppose mahalam would have, but for the, the weather.
0: But, you know, you go back, and that's kind of what I was going to touch on, is Mahalem kind of got his feet wet out of the bullpen. You look at B.J. Wallace, he got his feet wet in the bullpen. He didn't start until – March, March the 11th, I believe, against Delta State. We won a 24-2 to game. We won a 12-inning game against Delta State, played a doubleheader. Um, they scored three runs at the top of the 12th. We came back and beat them. It was like 15-14 or 24-23. It was something like that. I remember listening to that game. And then we won 24-2 to in you know, the start from B.J. Wallace. How's that for
1: run support? <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: So th- each of these guys, I think about Pilkington, Small, you know, Route was a guy that was kind of an opening weekend starter, but none of these guys had to go out there in their first taste on a weekend. To open the season, and so the, I know, yeah. the The great thing about McLeod is, yeah, he had that red shirt year to get ready, but he still his first taste of it is sitting over in the dugout, you know, eating his you know peanut butter and jelly sandwich while everybody else is taking the infield. Uh, that's that's a different mindset when you have to be a starter in your first ever appearance.
1: Well, and a different difference between him and Route as well. is route was pitching 2009-10-11. There weren't expectations. You know, you there was not this expectation, really, that we were about to be very good the way that there are this year. So not only did McLeod have to go out there on opening weekend, he's doing it on a team that a lot is expected of. So that's a look back at Bulldog history. We talk about left-handed pitching
0: brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. And so you've got a big baseball weekend this coming weekend against Oregon State. If you're driving up from Jackson, driving up from the coast, you've got plenty of supermarkets between here and there to stop by and pick up some great Country Pleasing Sausage. Put it on the grill. If you have somebody out in the left field lounge that's a buddy, bring some sausage for them, and so we put it on the grill. Have a great weekend from the guys at Country Pleasing Sausage. Well, when we come back, we'll talk further about Mississippi State and Oregon State, a big weekend upcoming as the Bulldogs take on the Beavers from out west. You're listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. And let's go to the phones and talk to one of the Bulldog greats, Eric DeBose. We're talking a little bit ago, Eric, about the uh, the performance of Christian McLeod this weekend. And, and it got us to talking about power left-handers. And you were one of the guys that came to mind. And You know, the Christian sat out last year, true freshman, drawing the start in the opening weekend. And you were one of the last guys I can think of that came in as a as a freshman and had to really be settled in that rotation. What was it like? Uh, First of all, welcome. Good to talk to you as always. I'm treating us like we talk every day, and you're a good friend (laughs) of ours. (laughs) But uh, what's it like pitching as a freshman here at Duty Noble Field?
2: You know, uh, and thanks for having me. Uh, This is a this is a great honor and. uh, Funny you ask. Uh, me and uh, one of our directors, Greg Sykes, was actually talking about this last night. Uh, when I when I came in as a freshman, I think the coaching staff, Coach Pat McMahon and Coach Polk, uh, I came in as a freshman and was thrown right into the mix. But I think they did a really good job of not making it me feel like I was doing something special. That they had they didn't put a ceiling on me, like, hey, we got to be careful with this guy. We gotta we gotta ease him in it was sort of like it was expected of me. And I think by them giving me that confidence that I wasn't doing something out of the ordinary, I didn't really realize how tough what I was doing was. And, uh, you know, if you remember my freshman year, it was a lot of true freshmen uh, playing that year. So we really didn't realize what we were doing something out of the ordinary or special. It was sort of like, hey, this is what is, is expected of, of you guys. And that's sort of the way we went about it. It was just like, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. This, we thought it was the norm for everybody. And looking back at it, it was far from the norm.
1: Eric Barton, I love to talk about situations that come up during a game. And one that has been coming up recently is a man on third, less than two outs. And you talk about all the things that go into that. The batter wants to get a ball in play, he wants to maybe lift one to the outfield. What are you thinking as a pitcher when you've got a guy on third, less than two outs. How does your approach change?
2: I never want to concede a run or say, hey, you're on third, go in. But as a, And I think it changes from a starter to a reliever, different time of the game. All these different situations call for something a little bit different. But if I'm a starter and I'm in the second inning and I give up a leadoff triple, I've got to pretty much say that run's going to score. I can't work so hard to keep one run from scoring that my pitch count gets up, other base runners happen. That's how big innings happen. So I'm pretty much going to keep pitching where, hey, if he scores, great. If he scores, okay. If he doesn't, great. But now if I get to two outs and he's still there, now my mindset changes back to you're not scored. But I think as a starter, going into a game, if you have something that gets him to third base with no outs, maybe one out, you – you sort of got to say that's gonna that run's gonna score, so that you can sit there and see the sixth, seventh, and possibly the eighth innings, and, and not give up the big run, uh, inning.
0: Talking with Eric Debose, former Bulldog great. He played at Mississippi State in 1995 to 1997, and you know Eric, so many great memories here. But but now you know what you're doing now uh, over in the state of Alabama. A lot of people don't really know. so what uh, what's Eric Debose doing right now?
2: Man, we're, uh, we're wide open with uh, East Coast uh, Sox baseball. And uh, it's a travel ball organization. We're a Christian-based organization. And, uh, we you know, we have 10 guys on the Mississippi State roster that came through the East Coast Sox. And, uh, you know, uh, two of the, the weekend starters, J.T. Ginn and Christian McLeod both played for us. And we got several other guys. And so now with, between my kids, uh, I have four kids. I got 12, 10, 9, 7 year old kids. So they keep me running and still <laughs> staying in contact with baseball uh, through the high school level through East Coast Sox. And, uh, you know, you're talking about Christian McLeod. He played for us. And, I mean, he is a phenomenal young man uh, on top of being a really talented pitcher. And uh, he was coming to Mississippi State. And I told him, I said, look, now. I said, if you're up part, I said you can go and be number twenty-eight. I said I was number twenty-eight. I was a first rounder. Paul Maholm was a left-hander, first round. I said I don't know if you're good enough. I said, but if you are if you feeling frisky, you can go go part. I think after his first start, he may be looking back at me and say, "Hey, but I got this." So, uh, but uh, Christian's a great guy. And he's gonna he's gonna have a phenomenal uh, year. Uh, I feel for for the Bulldogs for sure.
1: Eric, when you came to Mississippi State out of high school, it was a big deal. You uh, were drafted high. You elected to come to college. As you were working with these young players who are these high talents now, my feeling is that we see more guys willing to say, you know what, I'm I'm willing to go to college and, and let the pros wait. What goes through those conversations between you and the players as you give them advice, and how has that changed, if at all, from when you were trying to decide what to do?
2: You know – I think the kids are more ready for professional baseball now than they used to be uh, for, for myself. Per se, I, I mean, I graduated with 20 people. I played 15 games of high school and I played on American Legion game and we played maybe 15 games of locals there where the kids now are playing on a lot bigger stages. They're playing a lot higher talent. They're being seen, they're being, they're being shipped off to different places for long periods of time. So, they're getting a lot more exposure early and a lot more high pressure situations surrounded by talent than we did back then. With that being said, there's still pro baseball and college baseball are two totally different things. And it's a totally different makeup from going and being a collegiate student slash baseball player to this is now my livelihood. And, you know, it takes a, a special 18-year-old out of high school to be able to go and do the grind of the minor leagues. And I think now when you go and look at the college campuses and the, the college facilities and what they have at their as resources there, like at Mississippi State, you walk in duty noble. And, man, you're in a triple-A big league stadium, and you're go, you're playing in front of way more people than you will probably your whole season in a minor league, if you go to go to Florida, you go play in front of nobody—your mom and dad. So it's it, it's just it, it takes a it's more it's not the talent thing. I don't think it ever has been the talent. I think it's still the makeup of the kid can he handle the day in day out grind of pro, pro baseball, um, and you know that's that's something going through it as, as a player. Like being able to be around these kids and 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 sort of grasp like what their work ethic is, what what makes them tick, what makes them go, what kind of motor they have, all those things factor in whether I can sit there and say, "Hey, man, you're ready for this," or you need to go and you need to mature some, you need to go and have a little bit more structure to your to your daily activities than pro ball does. We're
0: talking with Eric Debose and, and Eric, the the journey that you had coming. You know, from Patrician Academy, like you said, graduating with 20. I graduated with 33 in my senior class. And all of a sudden you come to Mississippi State and you're standing in front of thousands of people. And I look back, and, in 1995, you got your first career start against Minnesota, the opening weekend of the season. Had a good outing that day. But what's the what was the difference in standing on that mound as a true freshman that day back in 1995 and then the final day that you pitched on that mound, everybody wants to talk about that regional in 1997, and everybody's putting you up on their shoulders. But the difference in the first time you took the mound compared to the last time?
2: I think it was ownership. Um, when I came in, I, I felt like I was pretty good, but I didn't know if I was good just in my hometown, if I was just good in my, my area. Was I good just in Alabama? Or was I good nationally? And I think – Coming to Mississippi State and being able to work with people like Coach McMahon and Coach Polk and and them being able to mold me and give me things to, to make me the, the end product, I think when I got there at the end and against Washington, from the first time it was like I was trying to figure out did I belong. And at the end of it, it was like give me the ball, let's go. Uh, just Just give me the ball and let's go win a game. So I think it was the maturity of of knowing who I was and what I was capable of and having the confidence to go out there and, and do it day, uh, game in, game out.
1: Eric, I think back to that regional in 97, and I remember obviously the, the, the opening game you get the win and then you come back on just a few days rest to get that 4-3 win over Washington. But I also remember we love to talk about pitching, but a pitcher can only be as good as a catcher or let him be some days – Remember, you had a pretty good catcher behind the plate. How does a having that experience with a catcher play into your willingness to, to spike the breaking ball, to, to throw something when a guy's on third?
2: It is huge. Uh, and you, back when when I was there, you know, curveball was my strikeout pitch, and it was going to be not necessarily for a strike. It was more I'm going to get you with the power of it and the break of it versus the location of it. And I had to put a lot of faith in my catcher that, hey, no matter where, I'm going to throw this with conviction to get the hitter out, and it's your job to figure out how to keep it in front. And having that confidence in uh, my catcher is huge. And I was very fortunate at Mississippi State and through pros to to have some good ones. And there was times where I didn't have that guy, and you had to go to a different pitch or you had to try to locate it a little bit different than maybe you would. But uh, having Barry Patton and Blake Anderson and those guys back there, man, it made it a lot easier to, to go out there and just attack the uh, zone and and, uh, and know that if it got in the dirt, those guys were going to smother it, keep it right there, and we we're going to be fine.
0: Eric, hey, we appreciate you joining us, man. Thanks for taking your time out and, uh, and talking with us. And Hey, don't be a stranger to us. Make sure you, you give us a shout when you come into town.
2: I will do, and uh, thank you guys for having me, and, uh, God bless,
0: man. That's Eric Debose talking about Mississippi State, his time spent here in Starkville as a pitcher from 1995 to 1997. And when we come back, we'll talk more here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau. Go with the home team, Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield, final segment. Charlie, uh, look ahead to this weekend, Oregon State. I mean, this is a team that we're very familiar with, and uh, we've split the first four times that we've played with Oregon State. We won twice in the College World Series in 2013 and then fi- found our way into the semifinals in you know a couple of years ago, 2018, and Oregon State won the national championship. They got through us. The thing about this Oregon State team – is they don't have an Adley Rutschman, uh, (laughs) who was one of the top college players in in, in history. He had just an unbelievable career at Oregon State. But this is a rebuilding-type team. You hate to say rebuilding because they're better than a rebuild, but this is going to be
1: a lot of fresh faces that we're not used to seeing. Well, one of those fresh faces is the coach, Mitch Canham. Mitch Canham is the coach now. And taking over for Pat Casey, who won three World Series championships there at Oregon State. Canham is a guy who played there. He was on the 2006-2007 teams that won the College World Series at Oregon State. He has been – he's never coached in college baseball until this season. He has been in the minor league system with Seattle Mariners and with some others. He's been coaching in Double A the past three years. And you look at Oregon State's makeup, and it looks a lot like a team that's coached by a guy who's been in Major League Baseball. Yeah. They don't run a lot. They – don't walk a lot, strike out a good bit, and they hit the ball really hard. And when they hit it, it tends to go a long ways. And so they don't run much. They are, you know, in, in Major League Baseball, the stolen base is kind of a relic. Yeah. No longer do you see teams like Wright State, for example, who like to run all the time. Oregon State's going to be very different. They're going to try to hit the ball. But they are a rebuilding team. And if you wanted to look at Oregon State and kind of get the average profile on a position player, for the most part, is it they are a team whose players last year played in 50 games and started 25 and hit 265 you know this is, a,
0: uh, this is a, a team that you know won a national championship 2007 and then again in 2008 and then they won back-to-back national championships you know recently 2017 and 2018 and so this is a team that that has kind of been in the spotlight now this past weekend they opened their season in surprise Arizona they split four games. They won two, they lost two, and as we talked about, this is a kind of a, a different team that Mississippi State saw a couple of years ago in the College World Series. You know, Oregon State, it, it's amazing, you know, when uh, when you go out west and you play a West Coast team, a Pac-12 team, it's almost like a certain brand of baseball. They were ahead of the SEC in the standpoint of when they, when they deadened the bats and everyone had to play station to station – and then with that came, you know, so much pressure on the pitcher. Okay, I'm going to hold the ball longer. I'm going to make these games draw out even longer. And it was almost like a West Coast style. The thing that Pat Casey did at Oregon State was it was almost like it was an SEC brand of baseball. He had some guys in his in his lineup. One is he had good pitching, like everybody out west has, but he also had those big mashers. And the thing about Oregon State is at the time when they were kind of building their program, Oregon had dropped baseball at the time. Now they're back and rolling pretty good right now. And when you look in the Pacific Northwest, he pretty much just had to recruit against Washington. And you had a lot of Northern California kids. He had a lot of California kids. And that became kind of a brand on the West Coast. And so that's how Oregon State kind of built themselves is because – they could go anywhere into California and bring kids up north, and they really just built that brand.
1: Yeah, they did. And what's interesting, too, it, they have built some depth over the years. You know, even though we call them rebuilding, they're, they're promoting from within. In a lot of ways on the mound, they're going to be a little bit like Mississippi State. They've uh, had six freshmen make their debuts this weekend in Arizona, what a great place to open the season, by the way. That's where a lot of spring training is taking place. So you get a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday series, and when you have that four-game series, it's tough to identify who necessarily their top three starting pitchers are, but their first one, the guy you feel really good about, it's a junior, Christian Chamberlain, a left-hander, not a big guy, 5'11", 170, but he throws it really hard, 93-94 with his fastball. He has a very, very good curveball. And the one thing you read in every scouting report about Christian Chamberlain is the word attitude, that he brings a lot of attitude. It sounds a lot like a guy you like if he's on your team and if he's on the other team, you don't like. And so Christian Chamberlain probably gets the start on Friday. He had a really good opening weekend, gave up only one hit, gave up a, a run, but it was unearned. And then after there, it's going to be a little bit of a guess there's some interesting guys, one of my favorites I want to see pitch is a guy, Jake Finnings. He's a sophomore, 6'8", 6'8", and about 210 pounds. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. So, knees and elbows coming at you. Yeah. Well, he, uh, he. They say he has a fastball with life, but what he really has is he has a fastball that's being thrown downhill. Yeah. And so, it makes it tough to deal with, but still a team trying to figure out who their starters are after about one or two, and still trying to figure out what they have at the back of the bullpen in many ways like Mississippi State.
0: Game time was changed to uh, Friday at uh, 1 o'clock. Friday at 1 o'clock. And, and yes, there is a possibility of some rain coming in on Sunday, so make sure you stay tuned to hillstate.com, look at Twitter. I'm sure everybody will be tweeting about if you have any changes of game times for Saturday possibly play two not sure yet but uh, be be, uh, cognizant of that it could uh, something some things could change this weekend in this big series it's going to be chilly friday night or friday afternoon at one o'clock that's why they moved everything from four to one kind of like we did last weekend it really helped things out because charlie i went outside about the seven o'clock when the game should have been ending it was kind of miserable and it was a cold day friday but hey we had great crowds on the weekend that was that's what was phenomenal. Saturday, and Sunday, we had really good crowds. I thought we had a great crowd for Friday, considering the weather. So now you look at Mississippi State coming into the weekend. The thing we haven't talked about, we talked about McLeod. We talked about JT Gin going to three innings in the Friday game, and then the the Sunday game coming out and, and getting the start with Sarantola, Carlisle Kessler. I thought, I thought some of these guys that came in and made their Mississippi State debuts were really good. You know, Bednar was solid. The positive and weak, the positives and negatives of the weekend. My positives and negatives of the weekend involved one guy. The negative of the weekend was Landon Sims on Friday night. A true freshman goes out there and he, and he had he looked like a freshman. But the positive of the weekend is being able to come back on Sunday and the way that Landon Sims controlled the strike zone.
1: he was a different guy and that will do wonders
0: for his confidence.
1: My positive of the weekend was Cameron James. Oh, yeah. Uh, third base. He he hit the ball, played pretty good defensively. My, my negatives, obviously, one of them, Tanner Allen taking the ball off the back leg. Yeah. You don't like that. And you feel like he's going to be fine, but I want everybody locked in, ready to go. And so you hope that he's going to be ready to go back to being full speed this weekend. Defensively, there's going to be, I won't call them negatives. I'm going to call them opportunities. There's some opportunities to improve defensively. If you go back to that first game, for example, there's a pop-up out behind third base. It's a little bit of miscommunication between shortstop, third, and left field. Those things will get straightened out. But if Mississippi State is going to have a great season, they need to get straightened out pretty quick.
0: Jackson Forrester, the transfer from East Mississippi Community College, was solid. Jared Schemper, a left-handed junior college transfer. He was good in his outings. Riley Self, it was good to see Riley Self and Spencer Price get back out there and throw in kind of close to what they did a couple years ago.
1: Well, I'll give you another one. I thought Landon Jordan at DH this weekend was pretty good. He had three hits on the weekend. But you know the stat that jumped off the page to me? He had three walks, and he was a guy that I really felt like went to the plate with a plan. He went, you know, a lot of times you talk about what is our approach offensively. Landon Jordan had an approach, and he didn't go chasing bad pitches, and he got his way on base half the time he went up there. He'll have a good season. He can do that. Well, big weekend this weekend.
0: Mississippi State and Oregon State here at Duty Noble Field, 1 o'clock on Friday and then Saturday, Sunday as State here opening this 2020 baseball season. So, appreciate you hanging out with us. As Mississippi State and uh, Oregon State this weekend, next week we'll have a midweek game. We had a a wash this week in the midweek, so you had last weekend with Wright State, no midweek game. That may help just a tad trying to get everybody back in a uh, full complement of pitching for this coming weekend. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory saying so long. You've been watching Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau.